Hi, I'm Rosie Acosta. I'm a meditation teacher, speaker, and author of You Are Radically Loved, a healing journey to self-love. Look, I grew up in East Los Angeles during the 92 LA riots, and it set me on a troubled path. I didn't grow up with mentors in my life, so I turned to reading as many books as I possibly could to learn about the purpose of life. In my journey, I found that having these conversations gave me life, and I decided I wanted to create a place where I could share these conversations with my community. So come have a sit with me as we learn about, well, everything. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Radically Loved Podcast. This is Tessa here. I have a very special guest to welcome to the show today. We have Rukmini Podar, who is an amazing artist, a designer, and an illustrator. Uh, She is a multi-time author, and her creative passion lies at the intersection of emotional wellness and creative storytelling. So the latest book is called Draw Your Feelings. It's uh, came out coming out October 10th and it's a really beautiful kind of like guided journal about how to draw your feelings which I am just loving Rukmini so really appreciate you being here with us today I'm so grateful that you do this work I think it's so important and I just want to welcome you to the show and I want to know how you're doing today oh uh, hey Tessa thank you so much for that and I'm so grateful to be here with you I'm doing great. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm amping up for book launch day. And so getting a little bit busier and excited and a little nervous, all the feelings are coming up, but happy to be here. Yeah. Yeah. Book launch day. I'm, I mean, that must feel like the birth of a, a child. And I know it's such a labor of love and how much goes into it. Yeah, it is. It's a long process. Started it about two years ago. So it's both surreal and it's also just really rewarding too. Yeah, I can imagine. That's so cool. Well, I would love it if you'd add a little bit to your background. Could you tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself? Yeah, of course. So my name is Rukmini Podar, and I'm an Indian-American first generation. Uh, my parents are immigrants. They came in the 90s, and I grew up here, and I grew up with a real love of art and design. And um, it wasn't really till college I started I majored as a graphic designer, and I always knew creativity was my path. But I like to say that my journey really started when I did the 100-day project. So this, for people who don't know, it's a very simple project, and it's also pretty popular. Artists and creatives from all over the world participate in it. Once a year, you dedicate something that you want to do every day for 100 days, and you go for it. And, um, you know, I am not a consistent person. At least that's what I thought. And I did this back in 2015, super simple. I decided to just take a piece of paper and do something abstract, like just work with my hands, do some pastel, some watercolor, make marks on paper. And the process was so transformative that I have been doing it for the last nine years. And I owe this career path actually to this process. So were you always an artist? I mean, is that has that been your creative outlet? It has been. It has been. As a kid, as a child, I felt like that's where I found my voice. And although, you know, I didn't quite own that title of artist, I just felt like this is something I'd like to do. And I was attracted to going into graphic design. I felt that this is a great way to both be creative and monetize it and have a solid career path. And 
what I'm doing now is so different than what I ever thought I would be doing, you know, to have a career based on drawing my own feelings and teaching others to do the same. Like, I don't even know where to fit that into a career box. And I like to say that this is this non-traditional path. It really emerged from my passion as an artist, but also my curiosity for mental health, emotional health, and, and that path of understanding my own feelings and having this outlet to really express myself it's really organically like pulled me into this direction of using and understanding art as healing. So more than even being creative or fun that, wow, creativity is inherent in me, but in everyone, like every person is naturally creative from birth. Like I fully believe that. I believe all children boldly declare that they're an artist. And for some reason as adults, we forget that or we lose touch in that or we deny that. And so for me, my journey has been, you know, embracing that creativity in me, but also seeing how necessary it is for my emotional mental health and also seeing that it's necessary for everyone's. And that's where that passion really lit up that, wow, anyone can draw their feelings. And you don't have to be an artist, you know, with air quotes or whatever that means, or especially talented. And I started an Instagram page maybe like nine years ago, and I was just posting my own reflections. I was doing my 100-day project. At some point, like maybe 2016, I started this series called Obscure Emotions. And that was me exploring my own obscure emotions, which is an emotion that you feel and don't really have the words for, you don't quite understand. So I started to draw them every day for 100 days. And that's when I I got a lot of messages from people and friends saying things like, wow, like I have always felt this in my life and I never had words for it. Like, thank you so much. And that was so interesting for me that, oh my God, like emotions feel so personal and yet they're so universal. And I guess that's, that's like... um where my journey started as an artist and where it's really led me is following this curiosity of my emotions. And when I draw my emotions, what do they tell me about myself? Yeah, it's so powerful. I, I definitely resonate with that. And I a thousand percent agree with you that we are all creative in some way or another, whatever it is that our medium is, and especially as children. And I wonder about those of us that kind of forget that or steer away from that as we head into adulthood and those of us like you who are really able to harness it and make it part of your daily life and even make it a career would you say anything in particular about so when when people like for example I hear a lot the feedback that like and I've said this myself you know I could do that passion for a career but I'm scared that it'll take the joy out of doing it There'll be a lot of pressure, right, to make money from it or for it to be, quote unquote, perfect or good enough for mass consumption. I'm wondering if you struggle with those feelings, sensations, worries at all and, and what you do with that to continue to pursue your career and your passion as like this one entity. Yeah, that's such a great question. And it's totally relatable because when we do what we love and naturally it's really energy giving, but when we do what we love out of like an expectation and pressure, 
it's like a whole different relationship. So whether you're an artist, musician, athlete, whatever it is, it's like a different experience of this art form. It's no longer this innocent, like I just am in the process and whatever happens, it's fun. But it's like, wow, I need to hit deadlines. I need to make specific art. I need to please these people. I need to make social media reels. I feel that all the time, (laughs) if not even more as my own business and art is expanding and You know, I used to also think that maybe this was a sign to not pursue it because it's like, wow, this is my passion. And now it's no longer going to be my passion. It's going to be a burden. (laughs) So I just shouldn't do it at all. Right. And I am sort of reframing that, that perspective that instead of not doing it at all, it's like, how do I evolve my relationship with this? Because, I mean, think about it, like, even as, like, becoming a mother or anything in our life, it's sort of nice when we do it a little bit as a hobby. But when you're, like, in it, there's going to be moments where you're like, I don't want to do this anymore. This is so hard. And this isn't as fun and joyful as it used to be. And so for me, the practice, and that's why my 100-day projects, that's why I still do it. You know, even though I have, like, a flourishing art business and a book coming out, so many things, like, for me those 100 days, it's like a, it's almost like a spiritual discipline. And it's like coming back to the essence of why I do this. And so I think for any musician, artist, whether you're a yoga teacher, anything like that, when you're doing it and it becomes your work, your career, the lines get blurred and it, it there's going to be moments where it's going to feel hard and it's going to feel mechanical. And you almost have to like go through that. Like, don't give up, like believe that this is part of the process, the business aspect, the money aspect, and then also have a practice where you can engage in this, in like this, and almost like as a ritual. So find, so for me, my outlet is the 100 day project that once a year I engage, I find something I want to do and I'm not looking to monetize it. I'm not looking to make it, it might become that eventually, but that's not my starting intention. And so I guess that's what is coming up for me. Like find that pocket of time and place that you can go and retreat somewhere and just write music or you can draw and have fun and like try to keep it separate, if that makes sense. Like use your artist passion and still use it as like the sacred space for you to express yourself as much as you can. Yeah. Oh, I love that. When I was preparing for this and getting to go through the book and I I have the digital format, so I've, I've got a sneak peek at it. And the thing that as it relates to this topic really jumps off the page at me, literally, (laughs) are the ways to welcome the new. And I think about embarking on a creative endeavor as being both exciting and scary and committing to it for a period of time. Like, let's say it's that hundred days. I think sometimes we get stuck in where do I start? And the fear of change and the fear of facing our feelings and what's going to come up. So I found this, I'm looking at page 11, ways to welcome the new. And it's such a beautiful representation. Yes. So this is one of my favorite uh, little pieces in the book, actually in the intro. And there's a reason why I put this here. It's because when we do anything, there is a fear of starting and especially drawing your feelings and drawing anything. And this book is really designed for people who I mean, it's for everyone, but especially if you're afraid of making art, like this book is for you because again, it's connecting you back to that inherent creativity and it's connecting you to the blocks and fears of what stops you from making art to begin with. So there's a reason that as we get older, as we become adults, we fear our own creativity and it's because creativity is in the heart 
and what else is in the heart, our emotions. And we are afraid of facing all of our emotions. That's why we numb. That's why we scroll endlessly and, and whatever other coping me- mechanisms we have for numbing, because we're, you know, we're afraid of that vulnerability of sitting in the heart. And the flip side is that when you do sit in the heart and you're able to have the courage to be with those emotions, what comes out? Creativity. And so that's why I want to encourage people that it's okay to feel a little hesitant to get started in this journey. You're welcoming a new way of seeing the world, a new way of being. And I'll just quickly share like the four parts of welcoming the new. One is to clear out old expectations. So remove all those negative feelings and thoughts and stories of not being able to do this. Then widen your perspective. Get curious about what you can do. Prepare the soil of your heart. And then practice being still. So new experiences come to those who are comfortable being exactly where they are. Yeah, that's so helpful. I was having this conversation with a dear friend of mine yesterday about just that. It's like the idea of knowing something needs to be let go of and needing to make a change, like something that no longer serves. I've evolved into a new person and maybe it's a relationship that I'm in that's more attached to an old person. And it's that like, just that first step and getting started is, I feel like it's the scariest thing. So I love how you, this is going a little bit further into the introduction. You actually have a page on let's get started. And so I found it so helpful, like gather your materials and make pockets of time and carve out your space. Just having that step-by-step guide is sometimes I just need somebody to tell me what to do. I was curious to hear a little bit about your creative process. Did you visualize this whole thing? Was it kind of like, how did these ideas come to you in, in, in terms of creating this format in this book? Yeah, you know, interestingly enough, it was really inspired by community. And it was like many years in the process of really coming to this place where I could put so much into this book. I mean, there's almost 200 pages and there's over 70 exercises. And it's when I look at it, I'm like, oh, this is going to take a while for someone to go through. It is chock-a-block full of stuff. And it did not just like come to me at once. It wasn't like channeled into me. It wasn't easy. But, you know, it was such an interesting process because what happened in 2020 when the pandemic hit is that I started to offer online classes on Zoom. And I've never really done this before. I've never taught in this way. And I just felt called to do it. And I had a few people, you know, on Instagram start to message me. It was the pandemic. People were needing some support, mental, emotional support. And so I would just take my artwork. I would meet with a group of people on Zoom and we would just do exercises together. It was so simple. I would like almost make them up on the spot. We would do meditations. We would draw like our intention. We would draw our breath, the quality of our breath. We would do these body maps. And it was so amazing. And especially for me as an artist that really engages a lot on social media, I have like 100,000 followers on Instagram and and it's great, but it can be really one-sided. And I realized through this that I, I just light up when I'm with people and I don't need thousands of people to like my art. There's just like four people with me on Zoom and we're having like a genuine connection. For me, that was so meaningful. And so I started to do this like consistently, like three, four times a week. And in that, I just started getting more ideas and it felt like there was so much potential. So I developed a whole six-week course and I invited these people back and I said, do you want to take this course with 
me and I filled up almost like 40 spots. And the course itself was beautiful. I, we went through like 20 different exercises. And I like to say that course is where this, that's like the beginning of this book. You know, I created even like a little digital workbook, things like that. And I just kept doing it. I did it again in 2021 and it just kept going. And I felt this feeling of like, wow, when I'm with people, it's like, processing our emotions is an individual experience and it's communal. Like when you're with others and you're talking and you're healing and you're drawing your feelings and you're being witnessed by people, it just goes so much deeper. And so all that is to say that um, that's how my process was. It started in 2020 and it was a lot of these Zoom calls and these workshops online. And I learned so much from people. I would offer an exercise and someone would do something totally different. And it was mind blowing or people would like cry. They would say, I have not picked up a paintbrush since I was seven years old. And this is so healing. And so that gave me faith in the process because as an artist, I was really self-doubtful. I have a lot of self-doubt still. I wonder, like, is this work really valuable to people? And I think being in service of people and really being in community and just seeing again and again, these exercises like have power, you know, it's not even coming from me. Like I could just sit back in the call and give people some templates and let them like, just see the magic that comes out of them. And so I would say like, that was like the seed that was planted. And then in 2021, that's where I got an offer from my publisher um, to write this book. And again, it was based off these workshops. So then I started compiling it. And then I created so much more in the last two years that has really gone into this book. Wow. That's such an incredible journey. What an amazing story. Uh, I'm grateful, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for uh, people like you who do the work and, and show up and share it with us. It's, it's very important. And yeah, even I think that's so important what you said. It's very salient. And I think it's very true and helpful to remember as those of us who are in service of providing spaces like this, that the number doesn't really matter. Like for example, if you want to teach yoga and you feel disheartened, if two or three people show up to your class, those are the two or three people that really need to be there and that are going to resonate with you as a teacher in that moment. I think we, we get a little yeah. caught up in things like followers and, and how many people show up. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I'll come back from teaching a class and the first and typically only question is how many people showed up. And that kind of like, it kind of irks, it kind of irks me a little bit when people ask me that, because to me, I'm like, why does that matter? Why does that matter so much to us? I can fully relate. And social media, I have so many disillusionments about it. And yes, of course, I do also profit from it and it's useful, but it's like really changed the way that we look at what we're offering. And it's such a numbers game, unfortunately. And we forget that there's a person behind every number. And like these in-person gatherings or face-to-face -face gatherings, like they're so valuable. And that was my realization also. And that's also something when I'm putting this book together and I'm marketing it, again, of course, the numbers are coming. How many books are going to be purchased? Where is it going to go? And then I come back to it. And really, when I was putting this book together, sometimes I would just like think of who would use it. And I would think of like, okay, this young 14-year-old girl who's like, you know, struggling to understand her emotions, this book could be helpful for her. Or like this mother-son duo, like they could sit down one day and they can do an exercise. Like these really personal moments of like, who am I serving? Who would this serve was really helpful for me rather than like 
the number and the impact and where it's going to go. Yeah, I think that's such a helpful way to remember why you're doing what you're doing and to to stay with your intention and not get wrapped up in that numbers game. So I appreciate that reminder. When you talk about, let's use the example of a a 14-year-old girl using the book and learning Mm -hmm. how to, I think that the thing that I'm trying to extrapolate out of this is like the vocabulary that we get to learn by analyzing our emotions in this way. But it's almost like we have to learn how to speak the language of emotion. That's why I love art so much because you don't need language per se. But I guess the specific question I want to ask is, how do we analyze our emotions like data? You know, how do we extrapolate that meaning out of it when we're using a book like yours? Yeah, it's, you know, it's not as hard as we may think. And I think it's because um, as a culture and, and like we're conditioned to really use our brains first before our hearts. And there's a lot of like mind thinking. And so with something like draw your feelings, we want to figure it out with our minds. We want to be like, okay, like, like let me first understand what I'm feeling and like analyze it as I draw and it needs to make sense and it needs to be beautiful. And then, and then there's so many, like we get so heady that we don't even start. We're just like, I can't do this. And that's like the core root of the blocks of the creative blocks and just expressing ourselves, it gets blocked because we get in our heads before our bodies and our hearts. And so a lot of these exercises, they're built and they're simple. They kind of like build on each other as, as you progress through the book. But um, definitely it's really important before we analyze it to get into our hearts and to get simple, you know, like the first chapter has a lot of really powerful exercises, like looking at color and, and ascribing an emotion to each color. And like you were saying, vocabulary is so important. And that's why art and this book is really great because it offers a visual vocabulary. So you take shapes, you take lines, you take patterns, and you allow yourself to use really simple visual vocabulary for complicated emotions. And it's totally possible. You can even close your eyes now, think of an emotion that that came up recently that's both, you know, charged and a little difficult and just think like, wow, if that was a color, what would that be? Yeah. You know, if it was a pattern, what would it be? And it's not, yeah, again, like, and so it's almost like trusting that gut feeling and trusting the creativity. And it's only after we put color on paper and lines, then you can bring your mind. Our mind is helpful to analyze it, but our mind isn't helpful in the beginning because the mind can go into judging mode and paralyzing and fear. So that's why it's like, okay, calm the mind down and just have fun and just intuitively like get into this exercise. And that's when you drop into the body. And again, that's why art is also beautiful. It's somatic, right? When you move your hand around, when you use color, like you're engaging the body and then you're engaging the heart. You're, you're dropping into what feels right. Yeah, this emotion, I don't know why, but it's a purple to me. I don't know why, but it's polka dots, you know, and you put that in and then you bring your mind and you say, okay, now I can see, you know, I have a page, a few pages where it's some simple patterns, colors. If you're just hearing the audio, you'll see a box with like dark blues and grays and blacks. And I'll say, what emotion is that? And I've showed this to a lot of people and they often all go to similar emotions, grief, darkness, fear, anxiety. And so there's a lot of universality when it comes to expressing our emotions visually. Hmm. Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah, it was really, you're right. It is simple when you said close your eyes and uh, visualize or remember an emotion that you had recently. It was 
like that instantaneous. I didn't have to think about it. It's a felt sense. You're so right. That's so cool. Can I ask what color came up for you? Red. Red. Yeah. I saw it for sure. I was thinking of (laughs) Rosie and I talk about this a lot. Well, I feel like she and I have had several outside of the podcast recording private conversations about jealousy, but recently we recorded a podcast and we talked about jealousy. And that's a for both her and I, it's a, an emotion that I feel like more so I have to work through in my adult life. I feel like she's had some good practices in place to deal with a little bit more, I would say intelligently. I don't know, Rosie, I can't speak for you. But anyways, I digress. Yeah, that one's like, it's vibratory. It's red. It's bright. It's like almost angry. Interesting. Very interesting. And that's just getting started. Yeah. We can go deep into that. Right. It's so easy though. I love that invitation to instantaneously connect and allow an emotion without, because you're right. There wasn't any judgment there. It was just like this felt sense. And I was like, oh. yeah, exactly. And now your mind can come into and be like, why red? What does that mean? What What is that? The vibrancy of that color say to me? And okay, if there was different shades of this emotion, what would that look like if this emotion was suddenly kinds of patterns? And then you layer pattern and line and color and you start to get a composition and then you can get really interesting and deep into what that means for you. Ooh, now I need to get out my sketchbook and my watercolors. Oh. Yeah, the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. The importance of acknowledging these feelings. Like I, I really appreciate your example about jealousy and, and working through it. And I feel like these emotions just get so much more compounded and difficult when we don't allow them to come up. You know, like already labeling them as bad and like I shouldn't feel this and why is this coming up? It like only makes it worse. And the worse in the sense that like it makes it harder to to deal with and to feel because then you're bringing in guilt and shame and all this other stuff. And um, that's why drawing an art is so beautiful because it can just be acknowledged through color. And you're like, okay, I'm feeling this jealousy. I'm feeling this anger, whatever it is. Let me just put it on paper and see it. And then, you know, as the book progresses, I have more exercises that go deeper into it. And I even have some exercises. It's like, if this emotion could talk to you, what would it say? You know, this emotion had a body, like what would it embody? What kind of conversation would you have with it? If it was a part of you, what would it look like? What age would it be? I mean, it's it's amazing how deep we can go into personifying these emotions because in the end of the day, we're not our emotions. But when we're in it, it just feels so part of us. And when we can separate then you can actually build empathy for the emotion and you can actually have like a real relationship. And for me, that really blew me away. And and this is something that's really inspired by parts work. I don't know if you're familiar uh, with something called IFS, yeah, internal uh, family system. It's an amazing way to see that there are parts of us and we can have like actual empathy for that part. And when I was learning about this and I did include a lot of IFS exercises in the book, I realized that like, wow, self-compassion, like that was just like a a word, like a pop word for me, you know, but like you can actually practice true concrete self-compassion by having compassion for a part of yourself and asking like, where are you coming from? Like, why are you reacting this way? And just being curious. So I'm digressing a little bit, but I, I get very excited about this idea of like really having a concrete relationship with ourselves and our emotions. Yeah. And, and please, I mean, feel free to digress. This, I think that's where a lot of the real true nuggets come from these conversations is when you 
when I say something, it lights you up and you're like, oh, and I have something more to say on that. So please feel free to continue along that path. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, of course. I wanted to though, in the widening our perspective in terms of like that conversation around starting something new and learning how to let go and challenging yourself to do something that feels a little bit uncomfortable at first. I believe it's that last section that's like the important part of that is pausing. And why do you think pausing is so important? And what, you know, I think pausing for some people can be scary in its own, right? Like getting still and and being, feel like, oh, well, it has to look a certain way. I have to be in a seated, beautiful lotus position, or I have to be laying down on my back and not touching, you know what I mean? So could you walk us through your idea of why is pausing so important and what it might look like for each of us? Yeah, pausing is so important. I literally created a whole chapter called Pause (laughs) right in the middle of my book. I have the first four chapters and I literally have an intermission called Pause and then we keep moving forward. And uh, even when I created that chapter pause and when it came up, I was like, this is something I need as like an author who's writing it. And this is something we all need because when you integrate knowledge, when you're doing this work, you literally have to just allow it to come. And pause for me is rooted in like self-regulation, like calming the body down, breathing, getting in touch with that. And also, at least for me, why pause really resonates is that you're kind of distancing yourself from like the doing energy. You know, it's only when I do, then I can achieve and then I can be peaceful. (laughs) But then flipping the script, like maybe I can just be peaceful. And from then I can do the things that peaceful people do and then have the things that peaceful people have, you know? So again, it's, we're so used to even in like a wellness area. And even when we're doing like self-reflection work, we get into this mindset of achieving and doing. And it's like, unless I do all the exercises perfectly and I can do this, then I can heal. And it's like, wow, you know, healing, it doesn't depend so much on like the doing. You can actually just allow a lot of this work to really like just sit with you. And so much of the work is sitting still, breathing, and not pushing for results, if that makes sense. Not pushing that like, okay, I need to feel peaceful now. (laughs) It's like, okay, that's still you controlling. That's still you trying to achieve a certain level of peace. You do what you can, and then you sort of let it go, and you sit, and you wait to just regulate your body, breathe. And again, that stillness, you meet the discomfort, because when you're still, of course, it's going to be uncomfortable, especially if you're not used to it. Your mind is going to say like, okay, time is passing, like do more things because you're only valuable when you do things. It's like, it's quite radical actually to say that I'm valuable even if I pause. I just don't do anything right now. It's not that I'm being lazy. It's not that I'm being incomplete. It's that I am valuing myself enough to know that I can just regulate my body, my breath, be in, and, and be present in what's coming up. Yeah. And then on a side note, just presence is so important, so directly connected to pausing. And I genuinely believe that any joy, love, it all comes from a present heart. It doesn't come from like, okay, I'm doing, I'm achieving. My happiness depends on what's happening outside of me. But like that inside, like if I'm really present to what's happening to me, can I feel a natural self-satisfaction that comes from the inside? Yeah. That makes me think of the topic of I think it's kind of related. Well, yes, it is related. (laughs) 
the idea of being whole. And I think sometimes it can be kind of like a, it might sound a little esoteric when we say, I want to be a whole person. I want to show up authentically. I want to be present. I want to be me. What do you think that means to show up as a whole person? Yeah, that's a great question. Because it is it is beautiful and it's true and it's a bit esoteric and abstract. Like I am a like, aren't I already a whole person? For me, a whole person is someone who is integrated. It's like you have all these parts in you and they're working together. Integrated and in integrity. I think both those words actually come together. Integrity actually means like it's like when a plane, an airplane is an integrity or a car, it just means it has all the parts in the right alignment. It's working together. And so I think for, for being a whole person, to show up as a whole person, it means the parts of me, the part of me that's like can be really depressed and sad at times, and the part of me that's so optimistic and happy, and the part of me that I love and cherish, and the part of me I just can't stand, and I feel so much self-doubt. Like It's like accepting all of these parts and allowing it to rest in the body and to be okay. Like, this is actually so radical because think about all the parts in us that we exile. And this part is never going to see the light of day. Like, I don't want anyone to know about this insecure part. I don't know anyone to know about this part that has an eating disorder. I don't want anyone to know about this part that can get so violently angry. I mean, like, it just feels so bad that we, like, exile it. But we don't realize that until we accept these parts and these emotions we're not going to feel whole and complete. We're going to feel like we're running on half a tank of gas. We're going to feel like we're only showing like the front side of our face and no one really knows the mess that's behind, you know? And being a whole person means like, I'm okay with my mess. I am integrating, I'm accepting it. And I'm showing up in all parts of me. And I don't feel like an imposter. I don't feel out of alignment of, of my values. I feel that who I'm showing myself as is who I am. And that's really satisfying. It's really satisfying to be seen in that way. Otherwise, you always, or I, I'll speak in iTunes, otherwise I will always feel that people are only loving me because they only know one part of me, because that's the part that I am showing, but not the rest. And so no matter what validation I get, what love, what success I get, it's not going to feel satisfying. And that can be really frustrating. It can be really hard. And I, I relate with this. Like I feel this even with my book coming out and, and I had so many different successes coming. It's exciting. And sometimes I, I literally don't feel that joy. You know, people come up like, you must be so happy. And, and even personally, I got married earlier this year. Like a lot of beautiful things have happened in my life this year. And it is beautiful. And I realize that it's hard for me to be present to that and like really feel joy. And that can be really frustrating. And I ask myself, like, shouldn't I be happier? You know, that's a question that comes up. It's a vulnerable question for me to ask, for anyone to ask, you know, because then it's like, oh, do I need more to be happy? Is this not enough? And the real answer is like, nothing will ever be enough until I feel that sense of wholeness, that satisfaction. And I guess, um, yeah, for me, it, it is. it does feel personal in that sense that I'm, I'm relating to this feeling that until I can accept all parts of myself, no matter what love someone's giving me, it's not going to really hit me. It's not going to feel fully satisfying. Yeah. Well, and I think some of the barriers to allowing ourselves to show up wholly integrated and show all the parts that we might deem as less desirable is that fear of rejection or fear of someone not really liking what they see, right? And 
in terms of being in relationship with others, I wonder what sort of strategies you employ in practicing showing up wholly integrated and allowing all of your parts to be present, even the ones we might deem as non-desirable and letting go of, you know, like maybe does that mean we let go of some relationships or maybe that means that's a test of a relationship. Maybe it means that relation you're going to learn about the quality of that relationship. Do you know what I mean? It's like, how do we, okay, let's say we're committed to this practice of showing up wholly integrated for ourselves. How do we apply that to our relationships in an integrated way? Totally. Now, this is like an ongoing question. I don't know if there's a clear answer, but you often hear, you know, you'll hear that, okay, now that I'm on the spiritual practice or I'm really committed to myself, I'm sort of losing relationships and friendships and it's painful. Like that's something that we'll hear often. And there's not really any going around that, you know, because in the end of the day, if you're committing to yourself, you're going to want to be around people who are committed to this full, whole version of yourself. So embracing yourself fully means that you're no longer putting on a show to just please others. And it it also means that you might be putting up boundaries or saying no to things that you used to say yes to because you, you know, because I was probably wanting to please people. And, and so, but in trying to please everyone else and not being real with myself, that's when I lose a part of myself. And that's why that inner discontent. And so it is tricky. And I don't know if there's a clean, clear answer, but it will require us to have more hard conversations and more vulnerable conversations. So I think it's less about cutting people off, like you're no, you're yes. Like that's still sort of like avoiding the hard work of just talking to people and communicating our needs. I mean, it, it, in one way, it's so simple. It's like, this is who I am. These are my needs. And, and this is like, what's okay and not so okay f- and not okay for me. And uh, that's really vulnerable to do because you're, you're just kind of laying yourself out there and you're allowing other people to either accept and go with this version of you or reject. And I think uh, we can be so afraid of rejection that it's like, okay, I will do whatever you want me to do. I will be whoever you want me to be. <laughs> and and that's like, I think the process is moving from that, that I will just chameleonize myself to be whoever you think I should be to I am really here fully and you know, take it or leave it. Let's have some conversations about what my needs are, what your needs are, how we can evolve the relationship too. Yeah. And kind of continuing on that path, it makes me think about boundaries in terms of in relationship to others, developing better boundaries, I think is also very much part of this work and can lead to the same kind of hard conversations, the same kind of maybe realizing a relationship might not be serving anymore. But all that to say, I'm wondering if you have any wisdom to share around developing better boundaries. Yeah, yeah. Boundaries are such an important topic and it's always just even difficult to talk about because the idea of even though it's so natural, the idea of simply stating what is okay and what's not okay, that's a boundary. And yet that can be so difficult to put up. I do have some exercises on boundaries actually in my book, and I'm hosting a workshop later on on it. So it is something I'm thinking a little bit more more about, but it's helpful to look at the boundaries we already have because we do have boundaries and they can be porous boundaries. So that means who are the people in our lives that we're saying yes to everything about, you know, and then later feeling annoyed at, but we can't stop 
like allowing them to do things that we don't like. So, so who are those people that already exist? And then who are those people that we have like rigid boundaries that I'm not allowing this at all? And then, you know, maybe the, the third category is healthy boundaries. Like, and that's almost like a door. Like they respect the door and I respect the door and I'll open it when I want, when I want them to come through or not. And so boundaries is really a form of self-respect and, and it's, uh, it's really, it's like a healthy fence that we're creating. It's not a wall. That's one way to look at it. We're not creating walls between people and things. We're just creating fences to show like, what is my space? What is needed? And, and boundaries don't even have to be that I don't like you or I don't like this. It's, it think about it less about the other person and think about it as protecting my space. And that really helps. You're like, what is a boundary I can use to protect my space? And, and what season of life am I in? Maybe we're in a season of life that just requires a lot of peace. Maybe we just don't want any drama right now or things from our family or friends. So then like, imagine you're creating this container and you're creating like a really beautiful protected fence what would that boundary look like and boundaries can also be behaviors that you do it doesn't have to be things that you don't do so say I really want to protect my creative time in the morning so then I want to make a boundary fence of waking up at a certain time or like no phone calls at this time and so then like boundaries are so supportive and healing and I think that's such a great way to think of boundaries as this protection this beautiful fence that we're creating to protect what's important to us. Yeah. Oh, I love that idea. Thank you. Well, so last question, and I, you've answered this in a, in a few different ways, but if you want to add on to it, or if you want to, you know, make any other suggestions, the question is around how you personally use this work in your daily life. Art and creativity and journaling is a big part of my life. And it shows up differently, to be honest. There's just different seasons of life. There'll be some years and months even that it's like I'm creating regularly. And then there'll be some times where it's just hard for me to pick up my sketchbook and notebook. But regardless, for me, creativity and drawing, it's like it is a very spiritual practice because it feels like I'm connecting to a necessity. And uh, when I do it, it feels really good. And again, like coming back to that earlier point of like the boundary of like professional life, creative life, it does get harder. And now that I have this book coming up, it's hard for me to almost just break out of like my author hat and just do this for the sake of my own personal wellness. I won't lie, it does get hard. But there has been some times even recently where I just grabbed a sketchbook and I didn't even have my my artist had on, I just like scribbled and I just got messy and um, it was awesome. It was so freeing and it was, it felt like a necessity, you know, and sometimes art and creativity, it's like, we think it's a luxury. It's like a nice to have. It's like something you do when you're retired or you're rich or you have plenty of time, you're a child. But when I did that, I was like, wow, it's like drinking water. It's like being a thirsty person drinking water again. It's great. Oh yeah. That resonates so much. Uh, It's like drinking water. I think about those ways that I feed myself, that we all feed ourselves. And and really these kinds of practices are as essential as breath and nourishment and water for sure. So it's such a beautiful reminder. And I want to make sure that folks know how to to follow along with your beautiful artwork. Instagram handle is rockinrooksie. And R-O-C-K-I-N-R-U-K-S-I. I'll make sure all this gets into the show notes too. And website, Dear Rooksy, D-E-A-R-R-U-K-S-I.com. Is there anything else you want to add? Any takeaways? 
yeah, please follow me online. If you're listening or you find this conversation later, like send me a message, a DM. I love hearing from you. And uh, this book will be available in bookstores. It'll be on Amazon, you know, Barnes and Nobles. Uh, so look up Draw Your Feelings. And I would love to know what you think of the book. I would love to know how you use it. I think there's so many cool ways to use it. I, I can see it in book groups. I can see it with between best friends writing and drawing their feelings to each other or just your own personal creative time. Yeah, so I'm really excited to see just the life that this book takes. I, I guess it is sort of like giving birth to, to like a to someone because at some point now I'm letting go of this. And now I'm like, well, let's see. Once it gets in your hands, it's your book and someone else's book. And I'm I would love to just know how it gets used into the world. Yeah. Oh, what a beautiful invitation. Thank you so much, Rukmini. It's been such a pleasure having you on the show. And we wish you all the best of success. And yeah, keep doing that good work. Thank you for being here. Oh, thank you so much, Tessa. It's been super lovely to talk and chat with you about this. Thank you so much for listening to the Radically Loved Podcast. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Facebook at Radically Loved Rosie, on Instagram at Rosie Acosta, and Twitter at Rosie Acosta. By the way, this is original music by DJ Taz Rashid. You can follow DJ Taz on Spotify and check out the best music for yoga and meditation. This has been a Mod Pod Studio production. Check them out at www.modpodstudio.com.